0: This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content unfiltered. This is Discovery. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region hey there and welcome to another episode of mental health moments hosted by yours truly phil mccabe and brought to you by 105.9 the region it recently came to my attention that there's an investment of money from the ontario government to combat bullying and you know in the interest of full disclosure this is something that warmed my heart uh for a very long time i experienced bullying probably through my entire scholastic career which is unfortunate, but that's not the point. Joining me today to discuss this and really talk about what this all means and a a bigger picture scenario is Lawrence Barnes, the president and CEO of Learning Disabilities Association of Ontario. Lawrence, thank you for joining me today.
1: Phil, thank you for having us. Very glad to be
0: here and hopefully we can uh, be some value to all your great listeners. Absolutely. So right out of the gate, can you explain for anyone that's not aware, what is the Learning Disabilities Association of Ontario?
1: So we really are a, a kind of Juliette organization from a provincial side. I work a lot on advocacy. Um, so through COVID works a lot with the ministry around the work at home environment for students, privacy issues that may have kicked up. But we also have 13 chapters who are spied across the province. They're bricks and mortar operations. And they deal directly with parents, students, and adults with support services ranging from reading tuition, math tuition, social skills, through to summer camps, employment programs. It's, because an LD is for life. And therefore, we support people in the province throughout that journey, wherever and whenever
0: they may need us, which may be intermittently, or maybe in a more severe case, a more constant support. Because I'm curious, more than anything, piggybacking off of that, uh, thinking back to my own scholastic career, you know, I was presented with a scenario where I got a laptop because I had a learning disability, and I had software to help me facilitate the the transcription of notes and stuff. Is that the sort of thing that LDAO gets involved in and and tries to help schools figure out how they they handle the logistics of making stuff like that happen? Not so much. so more. If you think assistive technology, which has come on a great deal because, of course, when my boy went through
1: it, you know, everyone got a laptop and Dragon, and that was the software that you spoke into and it typed for you, and that was going to help you. Um, schools are still using assistive technology, but of course, Google Read Write on your phone now can react to your voice way better than anything on that laptop ever did. So we're more in the in the position for of saying, how do we help parents to understand the technology so they can help kids at home? How do we help those kids to understand the technology? Because often schools give them the technology, but aren't as good on training them to use the technology to the best of its ability. Um, But also, we're there to supplement those gaps. So when people have got a learning gap, so say they're in grade four reading at a grade two level, where we can offer support to bring that student closer to grade level and hopefully change their trajectory
0: in the classroom. Okay, well that makes sense. Uh, But this kind of brings us to why we connected, and I'm very excited about this. Uh, I read a press release that said Ontario is giving about $70,000 to the Long-Term Disabilities Association of Ontario to, quote, help build safer and more inclusive classrooms in Ontario for students with special education needs. First of all, what does this investment mean to your organization? And is there a plan for this money or is this money going to help the organization just further the goals you already had in place? Great question. So generally, we're not government funded. And this money, um, any money
1: I've ever been involved without the Ministry of Education, there's always a very distinct agreement and plan. So this money is earmarked to create resources on an online platform we already have for teachers. Um, so that's 70,000. It's very much allocated to doing webinars and uh, articles, PDFs, creating resources that are free of charge for a teacher to come to the LD. at school. Or Tiara Cole, which is our our French website, because of course we have French school boards as well, and we operate in both languages. And it really is designed, um, that site has been actually running about seven or eight years under another grant from the government. Um, And it's designed for the classroom teacher, as soon as they spot an issue, to be able to grab a resource that can help them. It's not a very specialist intervention for the kids that are in real, real, real deep trouble. It's the everyday classroom. And hence, these bullying resources will add to that now with some very distinct resources to help teachers look at inclusion issues and stop students suffering. You know, unfortunately, the story that you told us at the beginning of the podcast.
0: I, I like that you framed it that way and that the organization is going that direction because in my own experience as a technical producer, often I'm, I learn about a problem and have to understand it and dissect it as it props up. And if we can continue to expand our knowledge, our resources, everything about bullying and around learning disabilities, then really we're all better for it. No? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you hear the word inclusion a lot.
1: Um, I tend to prefer the word community. And the reason I say that, Phil, is that sometimes when you're thinking about including someone, it almost sounds like you're making an effort because they don't deserve to be in there just as their normal person. Um, so I prefer community because inclusion should be a result of a school community. And, of course, the other issue is Um, And by the way, the ministry does lots of work around bullying in lots of other ways. This is one project. Um, So I want to make that clear. But from an LD LD perspective, kids with learning disabilities, the first thing you've got to recognize is it's an invisible disability. So, of course, if someone's in a wheelchair, it's not too difficult for a teacher to say, hey, listen, Sally's in this wheelchair. We're going to need to be extra careful. We're going to need to leave spaces for her to move around the club. You know, it's easy to deal with. When a kid has dyslexia, as an example, and is struggling to read, unfortunately, the labels aren't as kind normally as they may be to a physical disability and you know, next thing that kid's labeled lazy, dumb, disruptive, you know, all those negative connotations. And it, of course, that can just be that they're
0: actually struggling to actually keep up with the classroom workload. I wanted to pivot a little bit. Obviously, this is a step in the right direction, especially when you think about uh, the point in the press release that I read that said that it's going to for or I don't want to say force, but it's going to make it so school boards have to have an updated bullying policy in place. The argument could be made that this still isn't enough. So my question for you is when you think about the future, what does a safe community or school community look like to you? Okay, Phil, so let me break that down into two bits.
1: First, you talk about is there enough being done? I do think we've made great strides in the last decade, but there's always work that can be done, primarily because we learn more as well, the science moves around learning disabilities and you know maybe other things that affect the field. I do think there's great awareness now. um but in terms of what it looks like in the future, clearly we in society have those issues. you know we've only got to look at the uh, indigenous concerns that we've been dealing with in the last year or so to know that we as a society have a long way to go on inclusion and our schools, I think, reflect our society. So I think as we get better, it will improve. Um, The great thing about this, as I said before, is obviously new teachers coming through training will get the latest stuff. Um, What this aims to do is teachers that have been in situ maybe for six, seven, eight, 10 years, can now get the latest resources around best practices for building a welcoming classroom, looking out for signs in kids that maybe are struggling and could be being bullied and understanding those early warning signs to intervene and act in their classroom. So there's
0: always more to be done, but this is obviously a great step in the right direction. I hate to keep hashing on my own experiences, but the the teachers I had, the schooling I had, it, it seemed as though like you said the the teachers were doing the best they could under the circumstances and uh, i feel like the idea of an updated anti-bullying policy kind of forces everyone across the board to to think in a more broad spectrum to think you know we have to pay attention to gender fluidity now and inclusion and inclusivity across the board so i got to ask you as the president and ceo of the learning disabilities association of ontario Is there more that can be done on an individual level to further community, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, I think there is. And I think that's some of the best resources. So I think part of the issue is, yes, schools need a brilliant policy. Yes, teachers need to be aware. But really what we're trying to move here, Phil, is the classroom environment so that the the students actually start to own some of that environment as well. So teachers pass best practice, but community is built amongst your student body. So if you think of the, you know, we've all seen the teen movies where, you know, the bullied kid at high school sits on his own until the the great group of friends ride to the rescue and come sit with them at lunch. And while that sounds a bit flippant, I'm not being flippant. I mean, part of it is the teacher can't do everything. An inclusive community is about the whole school as an entity. So it's about teaching kids why inclusion is important and the results of those being excluded in terms of long-term impacts on people's lives that lead to very negative outcomes. So it's, you know, and of course, the, the thing about LDs being invisible is, I mean, mental health issues show in two ways. Let's move back just one step. One is the obvious, what I'll call the acting out scenario, where there is some behavioral side that you can see, but a lot of mental health issues are actually internalized. Anxiety, depression, etc. What we're trying to do is say, look, yeah, we can look at the people that are acting up and and they're easier to deal with. But mental health, as we've all learned through COVID, the internal one is the more deadly one. It's the more difficult one to deal with. So an inclusive community has to be welcoming people in such a strong way that even those that have those issues feel safe to talk to teachers, talk to mental health professionals in the school, and maybe even talk to their peers because the environment in the classroom is supportive to those kids. But let's talk a bit to the example you gave me at the beginning in your own story. So when you got given that laptop and my boy was in a similar position, he's in his 20s now, but he was there as well, Phil. Unfortunately, in schools, when you're different, you always have a target painted on your back. Kids can be cruel, right? Not always intentionally, not necessarily because they know any better, but there's peer pressure. There's all the things that we know that are playing a school environment. The greatest story I ever heard was I was talk- I was actually on my podcast. I was talking to a student and said, what was the greatest thing a teacher ever did for you in the classroom? She said, well, you know, I was, he was aware there were whisperings and every time my laptop came up, it was either why does she get one and I don't, or is she cheating and, you know, et cetera. So this teacher went out of the way to take the whole class in a, you know, discussion group and went up to someone with glasses and took their glasses off and then said, and the name's not correct, but it doesn't really matter. Okay, do you really think that Mohammed would be able to read if he didn't have his glasses? And the class will go, well, no, clearly, ma'am, he needs the glasses to read. Okay, so if I give him his glasses back, is he cheating? No, because he can't read without them. Well, that's why Alicia has a laptop. That laptop to her is the glasses to Mohammed. She says the whole year in that classroom changed on that little moment because her peers looked at it completely differently. And that's still the recalls changes we're trying to get
0: to. Lawrence, before I let you go, I have a, a pseudo tradition on the show, and I hope you'll indulge me. If there's someone out there that's struggling with a, a mental health concern, whether they they be someone with a learning disability or otherwise, what would you like them to know? Um, it
1: sounds so trite because firstly, you're not alone. And I know that's the phrase that gets used so much. Um, but there are help. I mean, as Belle said, that the greatest cure to mental health is when we talk about it. If you are struggling, find that help in your area. There is lots around, um, you know, from CAMH. If you're in a college or a university, there are mental health professionals there designed to support you. If you're in the general public, there are again, just Google mental health support in your community, you'll find lots. And the other thing is it's okay to not be okay. And again, I know that's a trite saying, and it's used all the time. but why I see particularly and uh, you know particularly in this rash of of particularly male suicide we're seeing in our communities nowadays, they just weren't talking to anybody, and then you leave behind a devastated family who just didn't know. So even if you're talking to mum, dad, your sister, your best friend, start a conversation with someone the barman at the bar that you're sitting there you've never met because once you start to talk about it you're on the road to actually getting the help you need
0: now lawrence last question for you if someone wants to learn more about learning disabilities association of ontario or any of the organizations you're involved with where can they go how can they get that information so the easiest way is our website
1: ldao.ca when you land on the front page it says, do you want to stay on the main site? Do you want to go to the English teacher site? Our parent site, which is called LD at Home, and we haven't spoken about that, which is designed for parents who are supporting a student with LDs. And TRO which is our French resources, three buttons, or sorry, four buttons. Take your pick, and hopefully you can find what you're looking for, including the contact with all of our offices, uh, my office, and other organizations that we work
0: with. Lawrence Barnes, President and CEO of Learning Disabilities Association of Ontario, which I'd like to point out, I haven't butchered the name once, and it's a long one. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I appreciate your time. You're very welcome, and I hope this was useful for your listeners. That'll do it for Mental Health Moments, one of the wonderful podcasts right here on Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. If you want to listen to us on the go, you can download any of our podcasts on multiple platforms. You can get it on Apple, you can get it on Spotify, you can get it on Google. You can get it really wherever you want. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region.
2: You're listening to New Music on the Region, an interview-based podcast that showcases new music and provides industry insight. I'm your host, Christina Lavecchia, music director at 105.9 The Region. Whether it's a brand new talent or an established artist, we bring you conversations with performers from York Region and beyond.
1: Is this the bottom of my mind? What's in the bottom for me to
2: find? I'm wondering, oh. That was The Bottom by Vancouver-born, now Toronto-based actor and musician Ian Link. Ian has played Macbeth in the Stratford Festival and the lead role of Guy in the Mervish Theatres Toronto production of the hit Broadway musical Once. And more recently, you might recognize Ian from the popular Netflix drama Lock and Key. You could expect to see Ian's character Bolton to reappear in Season 3. Music-wise, Ian will be releasing his debut album, What It Is, in 2022. To learn more about these projects, Ian joins me now. Hi, Ian. Welcome to New Music on the Region podcast.
3: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
2: So as an actor and musician, you are currently involved in some very exciting and big projects. But before we get Mm -hmm. into them, did acting or music come first for you?
3: Oh, acting came first. Definitely. Um, Music was something that I was interested in. I was, you know, the singer in a band in high school, but it was like, yeah, I didn't play any instruments. I just sort of yelled into a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So acting was acting was when I finished high school. uh, Acting was the first interest that I explored. And then really quickly, I saw that it could be something I, I pursued a career in. And so that was where I put my focus. And music was just sort of a hobby is at the start,
2: and is there a specific um project in your acting career that inspired you to pursue music a little bit more seriously? Um,
3: yeah, definitely I mean, doing once was a big deal. I had been playing guitar for. Over a decade when that show came around, but it had, it was always something I just did privately, at, you know, at campfires or you know at friends' houses. It was never really something I wanted to stand on stage, and I felt very vulnerable actually playing music in front of people, even though my for a living I stand in front of people and perform. Um, And then I actually went to Broadway and saw I was in New York and I saw the Broadway production of Once and I was like, wait, I could do that because I already knew most of those songs. Glenn Hansard was a big inspiration of of my my own music and my own songwriting. And so when the show came to Toronto, I just said, all right, let's see if I could audition. And and I ended up getting the part. And it, it it definitely gave me the confidence to. Uh, to take that side of myself into more of a professional approach, into more of a, a recording and, and performance approach. And, you know, that, in that show, the actors are the band, so we were all playing instruments as a band on stage every night. It was the first thing that really showed me, okay, you need to take this more seriously and record more, write more, and it's sort of been a slow percolating burn up until now where I'm actually... Releasing some music.
2: <laughs> in addition to being a theater actor, you have also been involved in TV and movie productions, including The mm-hmm. Art of Racing in the Rain, Working Moms, and Star Trek Discovery. And you have returned to our TV screens more recently in season two of the Netflix series Lock and Key. And I'm personally a big fan of the series. I just finished watching Great. season two and I'm looking forward to season three. And you Great. play Bolton in the series. How has that? experience been for you so far?
3: Uh, It was a really special, special experience. That show is so much fun. It's made with such care. And, you know, it's a really, it's a fantasy show. And it's, it's, you know, it's, I think it's really designed for a younger audience, but it's, it's like, there's such love in it. There's so the people who make that show are so deeply passionate about it. And that, passion and that love just kind of ripples into the whole crew and the whole set. And so the experience was really positive and playful and imaginative and getting to be on a show where there's magic and, and fantasy. And and um, yeah, I had a really phenomenal time and, and we filmed that for most of this year. So it came at a, at actually a, a sort of a time when, you know, I think a lot of us were really struggling through 2020 mm-hmm. and just a lot of, darkness and uncertainty and then to be handed this awesome role on this really fantastic big budget show was a a real treat yeah
2: and has production started for season three yet
3: we've wrapped um because of um well the pandemic delayed their their production for season two by a little while so Mm -hmm. they filmed seasons two and three pretty much back to back and that way they could maintain most of the same crew uh, and just sort of keep it's a very well-oiled machine. And they just sort of kept the, the, the ball rolling. And so we wrapped season three in September. Uh, I'm not sure yet when it's going to air and I'm not allowed to say anything about what happens. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we I had about four weeks off in between season two and three. And that's actually when I recorded my album.
2: Speaking about your album, um, your latest single is called The Bottom, and it's part of an Mm -hmm. upcoming album uh, set to be released in 2022. And you Mm -hmm. wrote the song, and it was recorded at Union Sound in Toronto. What inspired the track? Mm
3: -hmm. Um, You know, that is... um, That that song was written in the summer of 2020. Um, I was in a really sad place. Uh, You know, the pandemic had just kind of taken away all of my plans and all of my human contact. And I had sort of met somebody, but it was, you know, uh, timing or whatever. It just didn't work. And so the the I think the the aftermath of that was a lot more difficult to deal with than just your average failed attempt at romance because there just didn't really seem to be anything to distract yourself with. You know, you, I couldn't, there wasn't like you could go get back out there and Mm -hmm. try dating. Like nobody was seeing anybody. And it was, uh, just a very lonely time. I couldn't just like go to the bar for drinks with my friends and, and laugh about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and at the time I was actually trying to teach myself piano. I've always been a guitar player and I, and so I was just, you know, fiddling on the piano and, and bit by bit, this song started to take shape, and and it just sort of came out of a, a, a just a cathartic way to express what I was feeling. And uh, once once I started to sing it, I, I thought, oh, oh, wait, I think I might I might have a song here. And I had never written a song on the piano before, so it was it was sort of just born out of necessity to um, to not swallow what I was feeling, but let it out. Um, and uh, and then that sort of spawned the writing of the entire album, which is which is all recorded and I'll be releasing it slowly over the next few months.
2: What mm-hmm. made you go with the bottom as your first release? Well,
3: yeah, there's something I mean, I, I had thought about maybe going with something a little more upbeat. You know, there's some there's some arguments for kind of grabbing people's attention with something a little happier. But um, I kind of thought I would just start at the beginning for myself, you know, like that's the thing that kind of spawned it all. And, and it was also, you know, when I was collaborating with, um, my friend, Natty Zavitz, who wanted to direct some music videos, he directed the music video for, for the bottom. Uh, it was, it was just the first one that resonated and it was the first one I decided to, to work on. And so, when it came time to releasing things I I just thought, yeah, this this feels right. It's it's maybe a little somber, but it's but it's it's very true it feels very honest, very true to the the beginning of the story that I that I go through on this album. There are more hopeful songs and there are happier songs and there are more resolved songs. Um, but I'll get there later. It was a nice it was a nice place to, to introduce people to what I was trying to say.
2: And it's relatable too, dating and getting yourself out there. Yeah. Um, We could all relate to it, right? So it's. um, Yeah,
3: I think also I wanted to be really aware of the fact that I wasn't the only person over the last year and a half that had a tough time. I think everyone I know really felt like they hit certain low points. And so, yeah, I I, I was hoping that it would be relatable from that standpoint as well.
2: And to check out the video, it's on Ian's YouTube channel, which is uh, Ian Lake. And what can you tell us yep. about the video and its concept?
3: Oh, it's really—it's a beautiful video. My friend Natty Zavitz is born and raised in Toronto and has a real love affair with the city and its ever-changing landscape and and the evolution and and he he really connected to the song and he wanted to. We first of all we filmed it on on eight millimeter film, which is a really just a wonderful way to capture things it's got this old fashioned feel to it and there's something really special about how things look on film as opposed to digitally um and he wanted to explore the story of rebuilding and and that when you're at a low point and you hit rock bottom that is usually the start of building yourself back up and making something powerful out of it and for myself that was true i was at a low point but that was the start of this creative process that yielded this whole album that i'm now able to celebrate. And so we shot it in areas in construction sites around Toronto where there's all these empty construction pits that to a lot of people who who are watching the city change, they might criticize it. They might think it's ugly. Oh, another condo. And, you know, I don't live in a condo. I'm, I, I, I'm not, I don't love that there's condos going up all over my neighborhood, but to be able to see the beauty in, in, the, in the ugliness and to see the beauty in the mess and so the video sort of starts with these like deep construction pits and then eventually goes to, you know, some more like uh, things grow, earth growing and, and growth and change. And then we finish it inside a sort of lush greenery and it, it just sort of tells a story of how from destruction comes rebuilding and then comes beauty. And I really loved his, his idea and I let him roll with it. And I, I really think that the, the music video is beautiful.
2: And we could expect more tracks uh, from that album Mm -hmm. in 2022. Uh, The album is called What It Is, and um, it's eight tracks. Do you have a release date for it yet?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think the release date is April 29th. That might be subject to change, just depending on... um, I don't know if I'm ske- trying to schedule a, a release show for it or something, but late April is the, is the, um, aimed time. I'm, I have vinyl coming out and my next single will be coming out at the beginning of February. Um, just on letting the holidays go by before I to not compete with the Christmas music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, I'll have four singles, coming out one in early February, one in mid-March, and then my fourth single will come out with the album at the end of April. And, uh, yeah, the, the album is eight, eight tracks, and it's a pretty eclectic mix of sounds and a lot of amazing guest artists on there, and and, uh, and I I hope people are really going to love it.
2: And do you have plans to tour the album or have any upcoming performances planned?
3: Um, Nothing scheduled at the moment. Um, I've been mostly focusing on making the music videos and all the content, but yeah, plans are in the works to, to do some shows in the new year. I'm definitely going to have a release concert and um, I'm in conversations with a few different artists who are more established than I am, who, who um, I might, you know, maybe tour with and open for them and um, nothing concrete that I can report as of yet, but as soon as there is any, any dates, I'll be sure and let you know.
2: And how can listeners get their copy of The Bottom and the upcoming album?
3: They can find it on my website, ianlake.com, when it is available. And the single at the moment is available on anywhere that you want to stream anything. Um, uh, so there's links link to that on ianlake.com. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at ianhlake and on Twitter at ianlake.
2: Ian, it was a pleasure to speak with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in season three of Lock and Key and listening to your new album, What It Is in 2022.
3: Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Discovery, the radio show for podcasters exclusive to 1059 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast info at 1059theregion.com.